Taiwan reported 12 more domestic cases of COVID Sunday, among which seven came from a cluster linked to a gravel quarry in Kaohsiung. The cluster has now expanded to 34 cases. Three of today's cases are migrant workers who worked at an electronics factory in New Taipei. They had tested positive during their quarantine after testing negative at the outset. Another case is the wife of an earlier case who had also infected his two daughters a day earlier. The last infected case is an interior designer in New Taipei whose source of infection has yet to be determined. Currently, there are at least nine transmission chains whose source of infection is still unknown. The CECC stressed that it would do its utmost to find the infection sources through contact tracing or genetic sequencing. As tensions build up along the Ukraine and Russia border, President Tsai Ing-wen and her government are closely watching developments. Analysts in the Biden administration increasingly believe that China is gauging the U.S.'s response to the Ukrainian crisis as a proxy for how the U.S. would deal with China's increased military buildup in the Taiwan Strait. Even as Russia and Ukraine are on the brink of war, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken still went ahead with a trip to Australia last week, indicating, according to analysts, that U.S. policy on China and Taiwan will remain on track. Relations between Russia and Ukraine, which was formerly part of the Soviet Union, are becoming increasingly inflammatory, to the point where the two are on the verge of war. Despite the two nations' long distance from Taiwan, the developments are being closely monitored by the government. The presidential office has also released several directives. The Taiwan government is calling on the two sides to strengthen dialogue and consultations while striving to maintain regional peace. Military force is not an option for resolving differences, it says. At the same time, it is assisting with the evacuation of Taiwanese expatriates and is urging other Taiwanese to avoid visiting the Eastern European nation. In addition, Russia and Ukraine are major global producers of wheat and corn. There are worries that a military clash could cause food prices to rise. International oil prices could also soar above 100 US dollars per barrel. The Taiwan government, it says, will take necessary measures to maintain the stability of commodity prices, along with the stock and foreign exchange markets. The Taiwanese military is also paying close attention to developments in Ukraine and the Taiwan Strait and is gradually improving its combat readiness in order to respond to various threats. The government also noted the use of disinformation regarding the situation in Ukraine that is influencing the morale of Taiwanese people. The government is stressing that the situations in Ukraine and the Taiwan Strait are fundamentally different and is urging Taiwanese people not to be misled. Russia and Ukraine will involve ground warfare, while the Taiwan Strait would be a naval and air battle, so the two cannot be compared. This is also beneficial to the U.S. if it intervenes in Ukrainian ground warfare. Its air and naval forces in the Indo-Pacific won't be affected. Even though the two scenarios are fundamentally different, China is still eyeing Taiwan and its military pressure is showing no signs of abating. Meanwhile, Bloomberg has reported that China is studying the cohesion of the NATO alliance and how the US responds to the situation in Ukraine, which it sees as an important indicator for how the US might handle even more aggressive Chinese actions against Taiwan. However, the outcome could disappoint China's leader Xi Jinping. Even though war clouds are gathering in Eastern Europe, 
US Secretary of State Antony Blinken still set forth on a tour of Australia in the South Pacific. This reaffirmed the Biden administration's determination to pivot to Asia and once again stressed the long-term interests of the US in the Indo-Pacific region. During the Russia-Ukraine crisis, Secretary of State Blinken still visited the South Pacific region to consolidate U.S.'s relations with its strategic partners and allies in the Indo-Pacific region. We can also see that the U.S. is viewing Ukraine and the situation in the Taiwan Strait separately. Mr. Xi Jinping may assess this and be disappointed because the U.S. is not neglecting the Taiwan Strait issues because of the situation in Ukraine. Analysts are stressing that regardless of whether it's Ukraine or the Taiwan Strait, the U.S. has plans in place. As the Ukrainian crisis heats up and with the Dow plunging more than 500 points on Thursday over inflation concerns, investors have been worried that Taiwan's stock market will take a hit and that its opening tomorrow will be disastrous. However, an analyst said today that the fundamentals of the Taiwanese boards are basically sound. Inevitably, at a psychological level, the Taiwanese stock market will follow the U.S. stock market to a certain degree, and the Ukraine crisis needs to be monitored. However, we do not think things will get out of control or overblown. Under these circumstances, and given the advantageous fundamentals of Taiwanese stocks, we don't need to be too worried. In related news, the international price of crude oil has also soared. Taiwan's state-run oil refiner CPC announced that starting at midnight, the price of gasoline will rise by 1.2 NT per liter and the price of diesel by 1.5 NT per liter, the largest increase in 21 months. Ahead of Taiwan's traditional Lantern Festival on Tuesday, Xinju's Beipu Township held its own special festival over the weekend. Residents and visitors alike carried torches in a procession for good luck. Owing to COVID restrictions, participants were required to register online beforehand. Still, nearly a thousand people turned up to hold torches that lit up the mountainside town. After nightfall, this plaza in front of a Beipu temple came alive, filled with the faithful. Each person held a bamboo torch, lighting up the night sky over the Shinju township. Eating glutinous rice balls and carrying lanterns are widespread in Taiwan during Lantern Festival, which is a few days away. However, this torch festival is a tradition unique to Beipu. It was held on Saturday night with nearly a thousand participants. It's a lot of fun. It was my first time holding a torch and we could explore during the night. Actually, we had this activity when I was little, but it was suspended for many years. The tradition of carrying torches up the mountain in the night goes back to the Japanese colonial period. To dampen the morale of the Taiwanese resistance, the Japanese government built a road behind Sutian Temple to sever a so-called dragon vein, a local geological feature with auspicious feng shui. After Taiwan's retrocession, feng shui masters directed the locals to carry torches on the first full moon of the first month in the lunar calendar so that the dragon's vein could be reconnected. We will continue to expand this torch-carrying activity. We hope this local event can be seen internationally. We have followed the regulations of the Central Epidemic Command Center. We all registered online and relevant epidemic prevention measures have been carried out on site. 
Due to the pandemic, the participants were divided into six groups, each taking a different path so that the crowd could be dispersed. Organisers hope this traditional activity will shine a light on local culture. One family in Yunlin County lived in a shack that was converted from a pigsty that leaked and was infested with rats. Eating together for them was impossible due to lack of space. And the family's daughter dreamed of a big house where her grandma could live together with them. Join us tonight as we visit the family and watch their dire situation transform into one of hope and happiness due to the intervention of a group of volunteers. Our Sunday special report. This village hut in Uni County Suhu Township has brick walls that are draped in all manner of cloth and plastic bags. With its roof held down by bricks and old tires, it hardly looks like a home. Normally we hang our clothes here to dry, and sometimes we sit in here. Over here is the kitchen, the washroom, and here is the room where my husband and I and our daughter sleep. Mrs. Zheng, her husband, and their daughter lived together in this hut, which was converted from a pigsty into this long and narrow home. Because that roof might collapse, we don't let our daughter go over there. Right now, we're using those sticks to hold it up. The rain leaks in from here, this whole area that looks darker. This area also. There are always rats running around here. Leakage is Mrs. Jung's biggest headache. Although canvas and plastic bags plaster the outer walls and the roof is held down by bricks and tires, the structure is far from sturdy. When there's heavy rain, water pours in from every crack and opening. When it rains outdoors, it also rains indoors. There are at least 10 places where we have to catch the rain. In some places, the water drips in, in some, it flows in. For example, there are these two spots here and more behind them. Over there is a power transformer. There are leaks on all four sides, so we are quite worried about it. This structure had never been intended as a home for people. Now, after being ravaged by time and the elements, the place has never looked less habitable. The long, narrow space means that aside from inside their bedroom, the family has nowhere else where they can comfortably sit together. A short time ago, Mrs. Zheng's daughter expressed a hope for a comfortable family home. She wants to live in a large home and wants her grandma to live with us. However, with our current space issue, that's just impossible. She's always wanted the whole family to be able to gather together and talk. Seeing her four-year-old's depiction of her family, Mrs. Zheng is at a loss. She and her husband work odd jobs, picking up subcontractor jobs where they can. Together, they pull in 30,000 NT per month. On such an income, it is impossible to fulfill their daughter's dream. But all of this changes when a group of strangers step forward to help. It 
six in the morning, and at the parking lot of the township school and temple, one car after another arrives carrying volunteers. They have come here today to help make Zheng's daughter's dream come true. Taiwan Hope Volunteer Group Chairman Yo Rei Li and his organization have been building homes for disadvantaged families for more than 10 years now. As a successful businessman, he launched his home building project to give back to society. The volunteers he relies on live in different cities and counties. But whenever there is a family in need, they sacrifice their holidays to help out at construction sites. From each and every corner of Taiwan, they rally to his call. A home is a family legacy, and a home is where the heart is. It's where parents educate their children, and a place where a child is most content. It's the most suitable place for a child to learn. If a home's four walls, or its interior is unsafe, or if it leaks during rainfall or a typhoon, that will make a child worry or fearful. It's 7.30 in the morning, and the volunteers are time for getting started. Although the weather is not cooperating, these 90-odd volunteers brave the rain to start building. Trudging through the mud, they get to work on the foundation. One steel beam at a time, a little girl's dream home takes shape before her eyes. With only two weekends to finish the task, it's a race against time. If you're going by the standard time frame, if you need to build a foundation, you might need an additional month. There are going to be some delays. So we use a minimalist method, building the foundation in this raft style. The raft style is like the way you'd build a boat, or the way you'd place a piece of tofu on a plate. Its ability to withstand force and its degree of safety are relatively high. However, there is the concern it might move. For example, if there is a relatively strong earthquake, it will move. So, at the inner and outer parts of the four corners of the steel frame, we place tiles to strengthen it and to prevent it from moving. Then we pour in the concrete. It's really very safe. A prefabricated house built in a raft-style foundation is sturdy and quick to build. It holds for an average of 30 years, and it can be built by this volunteer group in just four days. It's a large group, and their strength in number. These volunteers also bring their own talents to the table. Personally, my specialty is in metalworking. I'm responsible for the foundation, the design, and the structural safety. We also have people who run businesses as plumbers or electricians, and we have carpentry subcontractors. In the first week, we do the metalworking and pour the concrete. In the second week, when we need the plumbers, electricians, and carpenters, those bosses and professionals will come together to do that work. In this environment, this atmosphere, everyone is working very hard. From zero to finish, starting from a completely empty space, everyone is working hard to see it through. I like the feeling of that. Professionals from all over the country converge on one site to work without compensation. 
from 6 in the morning to 6 in the evening, they pour their energy into transforming an empty plot of land into a family's dream home. This is quite miraculous. In just a day, not even a day, you can already see a house take shape. I've always longed for a sturdy home. I really quite look forward to seeing the house when it's finished. With the outer walls of the house complete, the volunteers' task this week is to finish the interior. We thought about how it's hotter here in Yunlin, and it's close to the sea. The wind in the winter is very strong, so we use this imported Japanese paneling for the walls. It has four layers, with the outermost layer being fire and sound resistant. It also has a foam layer and a thermally insulating aluminum layer. So, this house will be warm in winter and cool in summer. It will also be quiet inside during heavy rain. Houses built for disadvantaged families often are at risk of electrical fires. However, the wires we use are insulated to protect from fires in the event that they are improperly used. Under the skilled hands of the volunteers, a three-bedroom house slowly emerges. Behind the scenes, funding of 700,000 NT made it happen. It's a generous donation from a bank. The furniture inside came from an online donation drive organized by the volunteers. Despite their different experiences and backgrounds, the volunteers are united in the love they show for others. It's this love that's turned a dark, damp pigsty into a warm, new family home. Seeing the finished house filled with new furniture, Jung's daughter looks about with excitement. In the future, this will be her personal space. It's the home she will grow up in. If you give a child a place to grow up in, she won't lack self-esteem. I know this from experience. This type of situation, I can relate to. Seeing a child's dream come true also puts my heart at ease. In this home, the Jungs have a space where they can sit together as a family. Before, when we were eating, we had to be in a tight space. It was impossible to converse with each other because we sat apart. Now we can eat together, talk together. We can have a fixed space to chat together in. I feel very happy. There's a warm sense of family. In four days over two weeks, 90 volunteers working in the rain came together to complete a mountain of a task. Now that the house is finished, where will these volunteers go next? As everyone knows, dandelions spread their seeds far and wide. We hope to borrow the spirit of the dandelion by building houses for others and spreading love. 
Next week, we'll be in a different part of Taiwan, sharing our love and ideals. Packing up their tools and gathering their bags, these volunteers are off to their next mission to bring hope to a new family in need. Well, the weather took a turn for the worse today with the arrival of a weather front in the afternoon, ushering in showers to the whole island. Right on its heels, a continental cold air mass will descend from the north tomorrow. Temperatures in the northern regions will dip below 14 degrees. Open areas along the coast could even see temperatures drop below 10 degrees. Let's get the details from the CWB. From this evening to the early hours of tomorrow morning, it will rain almost everywhere in Taiwan, especially in the central and northern regions. We're not ruling out the chance of localised heavy rainfall during this period. There's also a chance of snowfall in mountainous areas with an elevation of 3,500 metres and above. The weather will be cold all day on Monday, particularly in the northern regions, where temperatures could stay between 14 and 16 degrees. By the early hours of Tuesday morning, temperatures will still be on the low side. There's a chance for temperatures to fall to 13 to 14 degrees in the central and northern regions. If you live in the north, you may be wondering why there's so much rain. According to the CWB statistics, over the last two weeks, Hanchun in southern Taiwan has received 75.7 hours of sunshine, with the sun showing its face for nearly six hours each day on average. Meanwhile, the gloomiest place in Taiwan's north is the port city of Jilong, which gets an average of 43 seconds of sunshine a day. That's 756 times less than that of sunny southern Taiwan.